Listening Dog Media. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Hello, you're listening to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks for all those who subscribed and following us on Twitter at Rocket underscore podcast. Thanks for subscribing. And we will today be looking back at the Six Nations action. We'll be talking to Scott Hastings and talking all things rugby. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Before we get into that, Brax, we tried to run it last week. A little feature, fun feature. Um, and it was, if you were listening all the way to the end, we drop in myself and my co-host, we drop in a few lines to a famous song relating to the Six Nations, either what's happened in the past weekend or what's going to happen in the future. And we only announced it at the end of the Rucket uh, podcast last week and the song was Under Pressure because we felt that's what England were leading into uh, this week. And if you listen to it again, you'll notice how subtle we dropped the lines in. And my co-host said, it's not exactly the easiest task. No. You know, and I was saying, listen, We've got bright, intelligent listeners here. It's mastermind, mate. It's not, it. mate. It's mastermind. I'm going to say my, not, fam- my family are listening. Mate, they're okay. not bright. Yeah, they're, 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 they like watching Supermarket Sweep, don't they? As I say, it's mastermind, not Supermarket Sweep. Okay. And so we're going to run it again. See how it goes. Bit of fun. You don't have to concentrate on it too much because there's plenty of talking points to go ahead with. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The brand new rugby podcast. So England got their first win in the Six Nations, winning 13-6. Dire game. Nick, you actually made your way up to Scotland, didn't you? Yep, I was there for it. Uh, Brax, the worst conditions I've ever seen from an international perspective. Um, So the conditions were so bad that the women's Scotland game against England was uh, postponed and um, apparently it's going to go on tonight, so good luck to them. Yesterday was spent entirely travelling. I've made my way back to London. I'm actually one of the lucky ones. Planes, trains and automobiles. It was just automobiles, um, as you probably know. So your flight was cancelled. Flight was cancelled Sunday. You know, it was the first flight cancelled. So we realised that when I was up doing my sort of box duties. So then we booked a hire car for yesterday morning. Yeah. And then we get to the airport, looking forward to driving back, and the hire car's cancelled. Oh, because the police have decided to shut all entrance and exit to Edinburgh Airport, because no. there's a big puddle, basically. No. I mean, the Scottish health and safety just gone bonkers. <laughs> so the best option we had was to try and drive to Glasgow, which was an hour. Right. But I was saying, well, how are we going to drive to Glasgow if we can't get a hire car out hitch, of here? Hitch, well, they do it in Scotland. Go and get it. a taxi. Oh, you didn't. Taxi to Glasgow and then get the sleeper train, which is the only train running, 15 mile an hour from Glasgow to London. So I'd probably can, still can you, be on Can it. you imagine England lost and you had to get on that train? Oh, mate. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, somehow we managed to bump into another uh, journo there, uh, Rob Kitson, Kitson from The Guardian, who was 
uh, in the same situation and a couple of Goldman Sachs bankers were in the same situation but because they hired a much nicer car than our Skoda Octavia was going to be Shut up, you got in that, their car? That we got in their car, we carpooled, they were heading down to Heathrow one had a flight to Singapore Did you, you know, get, high did you get, did you get did, you're One out, had a flight to New York. You're out of work at the moment, so it was a bit of a job interview in there as well. No, mate, no, no, you wouldn't do that. But all, <laughs> I'll, all I'll say is um, that they have restored their reputation in my eyes, the bankers. They're not, yeah. they're not as bad blokes as you think. But, uh, <laughs> mate, it was actually six-hour drive down. Um, as I said, we were the lucky ones, half our crew, who were doing doing the box stuff, doing the corporate yeah. stuff. They actually got on at the, one of the two flights that were allowed out of Edinburgh, yeah. got to a 1,000 feet of Stansted, by all accounts, and got rerouted back to Edinburgh and oh, are still there till Tuesday. No, that, that's horrible. But what a game. <laughs> I mean, it was a horrible game to watch. And I um, don't know what you thought of it, but I, I quite like getting a mention from probably the star of the show, Ellis Genge at the end of the match calling me a sausage and I thought sausage and mash you're my mash but you're my co-host with my reference to sacking the coach so it's it's obviously in the camp already I don't think I'm very popular at the moment <laughs> yeah mate well I, 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 I didn't I didn't it, I like him having a beer not some Lucas I he got a lot of stick for that didn't he mate that, that's that's just the keyboard warriors isn't it as Clint yeah. Eastwood famously said mate opinions like arseholes everyone's got one and I'm afraid in this day and age that's what it's like he doesn't need a change he's a brilliant no. character brilliant player be your own man Ellis and yeah he gave it to you didn't he he gave it yeah. to you I said last yeah, week yeah. I said last week it's not time to make a change just relax take it easy yeah. right and we oh. just needed to get the win when that I- rain came down that wind was out and it was all about the win for me and England dug deep and, did uh, they though did they come on I mean, they did. minutes it's three all it was th- yeah, but mate, you've got to hang in there. You know how hard it is yeah. in Murrayfield. It's yeah. a horrible place to play. You know yeah. they keep you out there as well. England were actually quite smart because, as you know, with all the Braveheart and the Proclaimers and yeah. you know the reenactment of Bannockburn and all that that goes on, as well as singing yeah. anthems, you're out there a long time. Yeah. And it was Baltic there, and yeah. it was a howling wind that was going straight through you. After they'd done all the sort of shake the hands and all that rubbish, um, they went out and started warming up, doing press-ups, doing shuttles, and just to keep themselves focused and warm. Sure. And you just, mate, it's, it's whoever blinks first, isn't it? And England stuck in there. Oh, Stuart Hogg, I mean, he's done it twice in a row now. I mean, what was he thinking? I yeah, mean, well, all he, he had to do is touch it down. God, cracking player, but key moments just killing him. Yeah, the last two weeks. And Test Match Rugby's down to those moments, isn't it? And I, f- I feel for him, and hopefully, you know, he'll come back stronger from that. And, uh, you know, I hope he keeps the armband. But, um, yeah, I think he will. But, I mean, I, I do think... Keeps the, R- the armband the RFU, and learns from it. I do think the RFU were listening to our podcast when they thought there's time for a change. And, I, you know, that's why Erasmus was apparently in the crowd, you know, maybe having a little interview with the RFU. What say you? What do you reckon? I mean, I, what, what? firstly, do you reckon he's interested or the RFU are interested? And secondly... Is it is it uh, a viable option? Do you think he's got another three or four years as a director of rugby at South African uh, Rugby Union, and mm. uh, they play Scotland in the summer? So I know we like all these conspiracy theories and everything, but he might have been up there as well to have a beer with his old chum Matt Proudfoot, maybe yeah. the night before or whatever. Yeah. Um, look, and he's also come out, hasn't he, on Twitter? I don't know whether it might be one of those mock Twitter. <laughs> um, um, accounts, but yeah. he's come out, hasn't he? And there's a there's a clip of his uh, pre-match talk for the World Cup final. Did you see it? Yeah, it's, no, it's it very good? inspirational. Oh, great! About two two and a half minutes. You will need to watch it, viewers. Okay. You need to go, get on there and, and watch it. And he he says when he sort of quote retweets it, he says something along the lines of, you know, 
I'm not sure how I could give a pre-World Cup final talk to any other nation. Wow. Not happening. Exclamation oh, mark, exclamation mark, oh, exclamation wow. mark. So he's trying to pour, pour cold water, if indeed it is his account. I'd, I'd love to have been a fly in the wall for Eddie Jones as one. What do you reckon? <laughs> well, but, reckon? Well, from what we remember, I think the, the coach was late, wasn't it? So he probably didn't have time for one. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the game where it was won and lost. I mean, you know, Eddie Jones having six forwards probably played to his strengths. Um, but it was a game where it was, it was literally worth not having the ball, just kick it away, kick it away. And it was... Um, it was an horrible game to watch and you were there. I mean, the conditions and the wind and the rain and it was just, uh, like you say, one of those matches that, that England had to win and they did and they come come away with uh, that win now and, you know, they can they can crack on. But um, Scotland be kicking themselves because they were in their half quite a few times, didn't capitalise and then one error, just like the week before, where Ford's uh, little little grubber kicked through and he's all over the place and uh, yeah I, I, do you know what I was, I was interested your take on this I mean I thought it was uh, I thought it was a try but then I realised the rules are that if you if you don't touch it down if you touch it down above your waist that's, that's actually uh, a five yard scrum I just I don't know the rules did you know that? What did you think? I, do you think that was a try when Hogg well, it's not according to the rules. It's downward pressure, not downward in control. Pressure. I don't. I, I, I'm not a fan of that. But you know, we won't go on about that. Isn't it downward pressure for a try? Okay, but you no. can. Right, it no. doesn't make any, any grounding. He but he didn't. Any all right, okay. any grounding? Yeah, in the end goal. Um, look, as we've mentioned it. There's not much really to talk about, isn't it? We we were talking before the game. It's about the performance. You know, we want to yeah. see what England are trying to do because we didn't yeah. see much of that in Paris. Um, but actually. You get to see the conditions, and I don't know whether Eddie, you know, got his got his weatherman in camp or whatever, and, and knew what the conditions were going to be like because he was fully justified picking three sevens in the back row, yeah, um, because they terrorised Scotland at the breakdown. Tom Curry actually played very well. He did, I mean, he didn't and have a um, and going play. with a six-two bench, uh, yeah, you know, knowing that it's going to be a forwards game. When you go up there, especially the way Scotland play, you know, they like to play the fastest rugby in the world. Quote Gregor Townsend, but yeah. they knew they had to squeeze them, and as soon as Storm. Kiara, is it? Storm Kiara, Kiara came literally at kickoff or around anthem time. It was yeah. perfect from an England point of view. And the back row did play well. I mean, Lewis Ludlam, you know, putting a bit of fire out there saying we hate them and they hate us, which was I thought was quite interesting. Um, but yeah, the back row did work. I mean, Tom Curry played very, very well. But as as he, he played the game like a like a like a seven, didn't he? Rather than a, a number eight picking up off the base like. Um, you know, uh, Billy Vanapola. So, uh, do you think it worked? I mean, he says it's a project. We all thought it was a, a poor decision. We, you know, Alex Dombrant should be there or Ben Earl or someone else. But but actually, it kind of worked, didn't it? You know, it was the type of conditions where it does and, you know, people change positions and, and it can work out. It's, I, yeah. I personally um, prefer him in his position of seven because that's what he acted out on the weekend. Conditions... You know, they weren't going to ask too much in terms of the carrying point and of what's happening off the base. Um, but he's still, a, he's still a brilliant player, isn't he? And I thought him and Underhill were outstanding. I thought George Cruz was outstanding. outstanding that was a very yeah. shrewd selection. Mm. You, you do not understand how difficult the line-out conditions were. Mm. Um, they, you know, absolutely put, put Scotland under all sorts of pressure. Probably only lost, I think, only lost two, two on their own throw. And actually, one was a not straight, so mm. the call was absolutely fine. Um, that was and Jamie George as well. I thought uh, you know proved his world class status in terms of a set piece hooker again yeah. um, with his throwing. And look, England just had to get the win. They, they did it. it. They dug yeah. in, and it sets it up nicely for two weeks. But we'll talk about that later in the show. Yeah, and and it's worth just having a quick talk before we t- before we call Scott Hastings about the the Finn v Gregor 
um, story which came out in the paper is quite interesting to read. There's obviously probably no way back really for Finn Russell to get back in that side because obviously there's a breakdown of communications with uh, with Gregor Townsend. But it, the, the, there is an argument to say that you know we need geniuses in the game. We need these sort of characters, and it sounds like there's a massive clash of characters uh, with Finn Russell and Gregor. They just don't see him eye to eye, and it, it seems like Finn Russell is <clears throat> the sort of person who wants to do things his way, and the coach wants to do it. A different way yeah which you know it, it doesn't set set up nicely does it especially when it's one of your star once in a generation players the Scotland you know for Scotland that's a big thing isn't it because they really haven't yeah. had someone like that for a long time and you've got to involve those guys and Shane Warne famously said didn't he he said with special players and he was clearly one yeah you know with players like that or an Eric Cantona at Manchester United you can't treat everyone equally no. You can't put them in a box. Tell them to shut up. Toe the line. But you can't. You have to make, make you have to make them feel special. Involved. Yeah. Look, you there's, can't there's always boundaries. There's yeah. always boundaries. And he overstepped it by all accounts on that night when it when he was drinking. But that's the thing. You can't have one rule for the rest of the team and a different rule for you know for one person who has you know happens to have that you know spark and magic. But uh, I think it's yeah. But, you, it yeah, but does, Alex Ferguson did for Eric Cantona. Yeah, it sounds a little unfair because the players happened. challenged him on it. Didn't I think, they? I think the um, I think the leadership group agreed that um, that the maximum we would have or they would have um, after the game would be two beers. Okay, and he he wasn't there for that meeting. Didn't know about. It, and he was on his third beer and he was told to stop. And so he took offence to that. So it sounds like from his side of the story. He's been made an example of uh, to some extent, but I think it goes deeper with his with his dad being uh, sacked and the unfair dismissal, but also the Gregor Townsend thing. You know, the conversation they had at half time last year. You know, England against Scotland. That um, there seems to be a, a breakdown in in how the, he thinks the game should be played. I was speaking to. I was doing corporate work at uh, at Murrayfield, and you know, there's a number of Scottish representatives, old and new, and yeah. uh, the new guys. I was asking him about, it and they said, you know, when it boils down to the World Cup, when they did the review, they just said, look, they just weren't as tight as they should have been, mm. and there is a disconnect there in terms of um, the players wanting to have that balance. And I think that they mentioned that you know, Gregor likes. You know, to be fully professional at all times. Yeah. And when you have someone like Finn Russell, um, who enjoys a beer, I think Stuart Hogg's the same and everything. And we all know you need that release. Of course you do. You know, it's a highly pressurised environment. You're going to train your nuts off all the time. You're going to mm. do the best by yourself and the team. Of course you're going to do that. But at certain times, you actually need to enjoy each other's company. Mm. And it just gives you that perspective and actually helps you perform. And I think he's been boiling over some time. He actually yeah. mentioned, didn't he, in an article he did yesterday, um, that... It, it was close to coming to head last Six Nations before mm. they even played England at the end. So it's been it's been brewing for some time. I, th I think it sounds like that Gregor likes to you know play within a certain way and patterns, and he doesn't want that. He wants to play what you see. Stuart Barnes has mentioned about his sort of problems when he got to England that he was told to play within a certain manner, and um, and he struggled. But but interestingly, um, you know it's. It's worth mentioning, though, that Adam Hastings has, has stepped up to the plate, played really well the last two games. You know, uh, did what was asked. I know the conditions didn't allow him for to, you know to play more of an expansive game. But the great thing is, we're going to have his um, his uncle on the phone now to have a chat about the match. Scott hmm. Hastings, the brand new rugby podcast, Rocket.
with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. How are you doing, Scott? It's uh, Kieran Bracken and Nick Hi, Easter Kieran, how are you? from Rocket. Yeah, very good. Yeah, good. very good. I'm, I'm, I'm still smiling from that wonderful game at the weekend. Which, Jesus, uh, oh, Did you, God. Um, were you up this weekend? No, Nick was up there, and um, oh. yeah, he's, he's sort of. I lasted. Hello, hello, Scott. How are you? I lasted 25 minutes. 25 minutes in the stands. Then I went to the warmth of the uh, hospitality suite after that. I'm not surprised. I'm not but, surprised. But it, it's. It must be wonderful for you, Scott, to see your nephew, Adam, playing and playing so well. But um, as a game itself, it's always been the same, same old story with, with Scotland. Gallant losers again, twice on the trot, a couple of mistakes from Hogg. How did you feel the game went for Scotland? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was um, frustrating. And I think it's just where Scotland are at the moment. They're, they're just, you know, yeah, there's a bit where they're unlucky. But the same token, um, when you saw that the conditions were deteriorating so much, to continue to play the game plan and with the wind behind in the first half, you know, my strategy would have been just get down to, to the England 22 and force the errors and the penalties because there was a, it was a game, you know, as, the, as it went on, there was, there was only ever going to be one try in it. And as it turned out, it was, and it was a mistake by Hogg. And you could understand while he was shepherding the ball back. It was a super kick, first of all, from Ford. But when Hogg turned, he had an opportunity to go down on the ball to gather and get it. He he judged, he thought that the pace was going to take it over. And the vagaries of a bounce of a ball bumped into him. He, he then landed on the ball over the line with his torso. And England's dominance in the scrum told from such close range. Scott, um... Scotland have always been, certainly in the last number of years, um, one of the better sides at the breakdown. You've had two games now um, where actually that's where you've been bested um, on the field. The Irish, um, that's where they ultimately won the game with the opportunities Scotland had. And, uh, you know, I felt the English back row especially got the better of the Scots at the breakdown. And and it was always going to be decided with the kicking and the breakdown and and the territorial. you know, what do you put this down to? Because it's always been something that's been a key focus of Scotland's. And when they've troubled England, like when you won two years ago, you absolutely schooled us there. Uh, uh, absolutely. It's all about fast ball, isn't it? And when you get front foot rugby and you're able to control the ball at the deck, it's important. And it's such an area of the game, isn't it, when the jack, the opposition get the jackal of the turnover, and whether it's a complete turnover or it's a penalty given because of handling on the ground. It's all about isolation. And I'd written an article before the game which was talking exactly about this point. The accuracy is absolutely key. Uh, when you're taking that ball into contact, and, and for some reason Scotland's excellence in that area where when they do get that front foot and fastball, it makes such a difference. But as you say, they've been exposed. And, you know, I listen, the game's moved on since I retired and stopped playing, but we had a a beast of a coach called Jim Telford <laughs> who would just go at you hammer and tongs mm-hmm. talking about how to protect the ball especially in wet conditions and I noticed in the World Cup when there was a lot of teams getting penalised at the breakdown that England put special emphasis when they took the ball into contact there was literally more than an arm's length to get the ball back and to create some sort of space but the way England operated at the breakdown to secure ball and to seek fast ball was that they would put two men in to take it on. So it was all about the drills on the field of play executed, you know, on the uh, you know on the pitch. In fact, and, and, and it was it was impressive. And uh, 
yeah, Scotland are just going to have to work at it because I tell you, Italy played really well against France. Yeah, yesterday. that's a worrying match, and, isn't it? Yeah, next this time is the first game at home. But, the Italian crowd yeah. will expect and uh, Italia, oh, Italia. Scott, Scott, <laughs> just just to want to get your take on um, on on a couple of other things, and yeah. the press have made a big thing about it about uh, about booing the kicker um, throughout the game, and myself and. Uh, Myself and Nick don't think there's anything wrong with it. You know, if, if it happened at Twickenham, we'd get absolutely lambasted if they were, if, yeah. you know, the crowd were booing a, a Scottish kicker. But what's your take on that? But also, you know, the story about the the, the, the bottle that hit the um, one of the coaches on the head, and the you know, look, we like going to to, to Murrayfield. You know, it's an intimidating place, and um, it's all part of the theatre. But what's your take on the booing and the bottle throwing? Have you ever been to a game where there's not been any booing, you know, apart from potentially the Aviva Stadium? And, you know, it was 30 years since oh, Scotland won a Grand Slam. <laughs> You'll love this. Bill McLaren's commentary. He comes out with the words. I've got it out here today. If you don't mind, I'm going to quote it for you. And here, Will Carling leads on the England side with a tremendous record of having scored 11 tries to tune the championship so far in the three matches. And some great cheering and some good-natured booing as well as England take the field. You know, come on. It's always been part and parcel of the game. Get on with it. You know, what's more concerning is the swearing that goes on at the referee, everybody claiming, you know, I, I think because it's Scotland, England, because it's the oldest international fixture. The, the irony of the irony of, uh, of Eddie Jones saying, you know, we need to be respectful as well. He yeah. was the one who said that. that. That was a bit... The, 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 other, the, the other thing that's coming out as well is actually they found out the culprit of the the beer bottle thrower and it's a she um there's footage actually of of storm kiara blowing a bottle that's landed on the roof of the car and possibly although the footage sort of stops there or it's cut out landing on his assistant neil craig i know there's an investigation going in there but i don't think anyone condones that sort of behavior do they so was it actually thrown or was it dropped? Well, we don't it... know. I mean, this is what's doing arounds on Twitter, but you know, with all the fake news and yeah, the, the yeah. humour and all that sort of stuff, you're not really sure. But you know, I was I was really upset. But you know, a couple of years ago, when when, when Eddie was lambasted by a bunch of drunk Scots, when those Scotsmen were rightly, uh, I think, fined at the yeah. time um, for disruptive behaviour and public disorder offences. Quite quite simply, you know, it, it's unsavoury. It is simple as that. Uh, the next time a team comes into that area of the field at Murrayfield, nobody will have a bottle up there. So mm. it will be policed. It will be over. And, and unfortunately, I, I spotted uh, you know a couple of idiots, um, you know, flicking the V's and uh, doing something else with their yeah. their, their wrist uh, <laughs> at the England team. You know, it's just the, yeah. you know, that is just it's listen, it's pathetic. It really is. Last question. Um, right. You know, it's been it's been in the papers a lot, a lot, and you know, it certainly threatens to undermine Scotland's whole campaign. Yeah. Um, first question is, how would you, your head coach, okay, how would you deal with Finn Russell, given the saga, and alongside that sort of question, would you bring him back for the Italy game in two weeks' time? Um, you know, if, if I was in there, you, you'd sort it between your your team room, wouldn't you? You'd have all the players there. You'd have Finn Russell there. You get his buy-in. Uh, s- simple as that. You know, Scotland doesn't have too many world-class players. Finn Russell is. Um, no player is bigger than the game. But to a certain extent, I look, I look at England. They had their troubles with Danny Cipriani, and it, it's a really tough ask. And you know, whether he came in, whether Finn Russell comes in and disrupts the camp before the Italian game, it may be that he comes in and sits on the bench. But Finn, being Finn, you know, he's going to play to his own game plan and. 
Unfortunately, this has been a simmering issue. You've got a clash of personalities there. I think, you know, in, also in defence, um, my nephew Adam Hastings has uh, conducted himself superbly. He's played very well over the last two games. Um, and Finn has even phoned Adam and spoken to him before the games to give him sort of encouragement and advice. It's such a tricky area um, because from what I can gather, um, Finn Russell doesn't wish to apologise to Gregor Townsend. Gregor Townsend feels that he's in the right. Uh, no player is bigger than the game, and I think uh, if Russell was to come back in, he puts his tail between the legs, adheres to the game plan, and uh, comes back and contributes. At the end of the day, it's a team game. It's not Finn Russell's game. Yeah, I feel this Great is going to keep on rumbling. Scott, thank you very, very much for your time, mate. Wise all words as always. Thank you, boys. And uh, podcast and all, all the <laughs> listeners out there are enjoying it and uh, good luck for the rest of the Six Nations it's a great championship we love it to pieces and all this chat and controversy is always good fun cheers Scott cheers guys Rocket Kieran Bracken Nick Easter the brand new rugby podcast next subject now and we've had a number of questions coming about this and it's it's been in the it's been in the press in the papers um, yeah, over the weekend clearly this morning as well this is from Roy the boy he calls himself um, Wentworth member got a massive house on the Wentworth estate he, he likes to tell me here <laughs> one do you think that the Springboks joining the Six Nations will happen and would we like to see it happen? And would it be at the expense of Italy's place, or would it just become a Seven Nations? Well, making it a Seven Nations, I think player welfare. I think there's there's too many games uh, playing for your club, playing Europe, playing international rugby, and you get South Africa involved, and suddenly it's it's far too many games, and player welfare is so important. But would I like to see it happen? Um, not really. I think it's good to play South Africa in the Autumn Internationals, play South Africa, New Zealand, Australia and those sort of teams. Um, will it happen? Well, I think it's all about finances, isn't it? And I know I think CVC have invested quite a lot of money in it and they'd like to see the, the competition expanded. But I think when they did expand, um, you know, the Super 15 to more teams, it sort of it sort of lost its, I think it lost its um, its value. It lost something about it. And I kind of feel that that if you make it seven nations, then someone else will want to come eight nations, nine. And then suddenly, I just don't, I just think it's too much. I think we've got, it is the jewel in the crown, I think, the six nations in international rugby. And I think keep it as it is. Yeah, I mean, Eddie Jones mentioned that, didn't he? Yeah. He spoke about super rugby. Rarity is a value in sport, and you yeah. see it too often now. Um, I wouldn't like to see it happen. I agree. You've got the Six Nations tournament. What does it become? Another sort of tournament. Look, we've yep. got the Rugby World Cup. We've got the Six Nations. We've got the Rugby Championship. Logistical problems. Look, we know clearly it works from a from a time zone point of view in terms of travel for players, although it would mean you know expanding mm. the season even more, as you mentioned. And it works in terms of when the games are on from a South African point of view. It's great because yeah. also the cash injection it gets there. The players being able to stay at South African clubs because, again, the TV rights, are, the, the cash injection, it works. But I don't think it should happen. Imagine, so what happens there is you get, right, seven nations, South Africa are gone from the championship. So it becomes Argentina... Australia are pretty weak at the moment, New Zealand and in Japan and Fiji join that side so you become a bit more Pacific orientated. Yeah. Well, New Zealand are going to win that every year. Mm. Let, let, let's be honest, you know, it's not really going to be a contest. You add the extra game to the Six Nations, I don't think there's any value in it. South Africa also come in, unless you have a global season, they come in on the back of no rugby. 
you know they're, they're all they're all in pre-season they come in they've not really had any rugby um and you know the disparity in conditions yeah. as well yeah and i think it, i think it should stay should stay in europe i think um i think that here's here's a question though and and i've always wondered why the six nations when i played first five nations why it wasn't home and away because that might be another opportunity to make more money uh, home and away matches but i know i know you've got the the premiership and you've got europe but most of the money is in international rugby and I think maybe if they were to pay the clubs... But then you've just spoken about player welfare no, having one I, more game no, and now I'd you're trying to have another I'd five. Have, I'd somehow have less less maybe European games and less uh, club games. I don't know the answer. I'm just saying, I'm just asking a question, you know, should they look at it or should they, should they look at maybe the Six Nations having so the last two play a playoff like they do in the championship, the last two... Uh, play against each other. Who's going to win the Six Nations? That's that's another option. Have one more game. No, I, I think it's fine as it is, Braggs. I like I like the format as it is. Yeah. It is the best annual competition in the world in in rugby union. And yeah. you know, leave well alone. Sometimes stop looking to tinker. Stop looking to play yeah. with things. We always have the Italy debate. We're not going to get in that on, on into that on this show. Uh, maybe though. You talk about home and away, which does happen in the rugby championship. Maybe the rugby championship with Japan joining just becomes like the Six Nations. You play each other once. And the bragging rights are for that one game because it's a bit of a reverse economy, isn't it, sometimes? Or false economy when you think, right, by having two games, you're going to generate more money. Well, actually, you're going to fill the stadiums. Mm. If South Africa versus New Zealand is only happening once, and whether it's in Wellington or whether it's in Joburg or Cape Town or wherever it is, People are going to fill the stadiums for that. They get, if it's even Argentina, Australia, they're going to fill the stadiums a lot more likely to do that. But, you know, that's their their problem. I also like the the idea that we always have this North v South debate mm-hmm. and, and keeping it like that. So, as you mentioned, when they come over in the autumn, you know, there's a bit of mystery there, although that's been taken away with with the regularity we play, play them with. But, uh, you know, we look forward to welcoming them at home in the autumn on our pack. Rocket with Kieran Bracken. And Nick Easter. So France, another bonus point win, 35-22 against Italy and a uh, game of two halves. But I tell you what, I mean, last week we were talking about maybe Italy not being in the tournament and then I thought, I mean, now I'm going to eat my own words. They played really well, Italy, scoring three tries, looked very dangerous in the second half, the start of the second half. And and it was just almost the same old French, though, that we've, what we've seen over the years where... Uh, you know, they score, they look great, and then they just look very, very average and have no idea what they're doing. I think Sean Edwards would be a bit disappointed with his performance, uh, letting in three tries. You're not going to change it overnight, are you? We asked no. the question last week, and Italy always seemed to play their best rugby, certainly in recent years, against the French. Yeah. Must be some sort of what continental yeah. rivalry they've got, <laughs> because we're, we're on our own, um, separated by the English Channel, and, and they're on the continent. But uh, And, uh, you know, a lot of those players do play in France as well. But... Great signs from an Italy point of view. You know, yeah. Franco Smith, you know, he, he's a very attack-minded coach and we know that that's the part of the game that they need to mm. improve and develop and they got their reward, which is great. Yeah. Um, the French, as you say, sublime and ridiculous, isn't it? Oh, um, you know, Entomax, some some world-class plays and then, you know, simple, basic errors. Yeah, Dupont, Dupont was outstanding and um, some of the French pack were were sublime, but uh, it, you kind of feel they lack sort of control and leadership in, in crucial moments of the game. And um, yeah, I was I was surprised at how well Italy played. Um, you know, Pelledri, sort of a beast around the pitch. Uh, Minozzi on the wing was outstanding, but the offloads and their skill, and we talked some time ago about them replicating the Japan-type way of trying to play fast, trying to move the ball, 
Um, and, and actually I was surprised how dominant the, their forward pack were in, in the start of the second half with their pick and goes. So that was good. But but for France, you know, it was sort of, you know, they're they they, they, they going back to their old traits where they can be brilliant and then awful, brilliant and then awful. And you're hoping this Galtier coaching team with Sean Edwards can gr- bring some sort of consistency. They didn't have the line speed at all against Italy that we saw in the, in the week before against England. And maybe they just thought they were just going to you know, easily, easily beat them. So it's interesting how we think France are going to do in this tournament. Yeah, look, uh, I think secretly deep down with a coaching hat on, they'll be actually quite pleased. You know, if they come away with our predictions of 50 points, 40 points, they go to Cardiff next time round and probably a little bit overconfident. Whereas this is sort of, you know, whether they were complacent going into the game, but there's plenty to work on. Sean Edwards will have obviously the intel on on the Welsh. That's a a great return for him. Exactly. And uh, I think it's probably a good place for him to be in to realise actually, you know what? Yeah, you had a a good win against England, Mm. against the odds to a degree, but, you know, this has just brought him back down to earth a little bit and it's probably a good place from a mental point of view to Mm. be at. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter, the brand new rugby podcast. So the other game at the weekend in Dublin, um, this is one I was really looking forward to yeah. actually. And Me too. My prediction has been absolutely <laughs> smashed out of water because I thought Wales were going to win this. Um, Ireland 24, Wales 14. Uh, it was all the Irish. I thought I was very impressed with them. Um, you can see how they're expressing themselves. How, you know, they're playing with no fear under Andy Farrell, the new coaching staff with Mike Cat brought in there. Yeah. There's a few little differences from a defensive point of view, what they're doing now. You know, they're competing a lot more at the breakdown, making it hard, and that sort of stifled the Welsh offloading game, which, which again, when, when you introduce a new attack from a Welsh point of view, and I know Wayne Pivot came out and he said, it's just inexcusable the amount of unforced errors we make. But when you are trying to give Wales a more fluid attacking game, yeah against world-class opposition like Ireland, you know, you're not going to win all the time. And, uh, you know, you, you're going to lose out on a few. Um, and they've just got to ride that storm, I think, if they're to develop that type of game. You say they stopped the offloads. I think they uh, Wales had... and, and it No, is- no, I'm saying... What I'm saying is, when you're offloading like that, the offloads come off, but you can become isolated. And yeah. that's when the likes of CJ Stander, yeah, who's again man of the match, yeah. come in. Because they're isolated with the offload games. And Joe Schmidt didn't like the offload for that reason. Yeah. He wanted possession, 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 one out. But that was very limiting. Whereas now that they're, off, they're wanting to offload, mm-hmm. the Welsh are wanting to offload especially, is, yeah. look, you can get great rewards with it straight mm-hmm. away without going through the phases. Um, but you can also get isolated. And look, that's just... Yeah. It is proof the way Pivac wants to play. I think they Wales had 16 offloads, which was close to their record of 18 against Tonga in 2018. They certainly want to want to play a wide game, but to some extent, I think they played into the Irish hands and the Irish thought, well, we'll let you play wide, wide as much as you want, but what we'll do is we'll compete at the breakdown, slow you down, and they didn't have an answer for it. So Pivac's going to find his way in international rugby. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how he sort of... Um, gets himself ready for the France game but yeah from Ireland's point of view I mean Conor Murray had a much better game Sexton at 34 captain I don't know why I always thought I thought he'd captained many a time in you know in past years but he, he hasn't this is probably his first time I know he, was, he did it once and then in the World Cup but but what did you think of his chat with the, with the referee right throughout the game I mean it was like constant so he's got a bit of stick for that what, what was your take on that yeah but look um <sighs> 
it, 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 it's a real art and a real skill, isn't it? How yeah. you can what were you like? Get on the side of the referee and dip, and be diplomatic. I wasn't very good. I'll be honest with you. When I was yeah. captain, um, I did let my frustrations oh, boil over with referees at yeah. times. You know, it, it was a big work on. Um, but he's up against Alan Wynne Jones, who's one of the best. And yeah. Alan Wynne Jones likes the sort of gentle chat, yeah. questioning him certainly about the laws, the slow walk sort of stuff. But and, and Johnny Sexton knew that that was going to be a bit of a challenge. Actually, yeah. um, you got a very experienced, world class lock there, and I think he was giving a bit of his own back. I love it. I love them trying to clarify the law at the at, when with the mall and the breakdown and what you can and <laughs> yeah, can't he's do. Been in plenty it of reminded them. me of James Haskell. What was that a few years against Italy? Am I allowed to come through? Can I? What can I do? It was brilliant. Brilliant. So, yeah, I mean, Mike Katz put a stamp on this team and the, the very exciting thing is the back three were outstanding. Lama, Conway, Stockdale. I mean, uh, Ireland, I think they made about 386 metres, a third of which were, were all from the back three. Stockdale getting 86 metres. I mean, they look a slightly different side to me. They look like they want to take the ball on. They want to they wanna change the way they play. And it's funny because some of the interviews after the game, the Welsh were saying we expected them to try and out-muscle us like they've done in the past. But now they sort of kept the ball moving all the time with their back three. And, and that's certainly something different we haven't seen for a long time from Ireland. Yeah, we said, didn't we, a few podcasts ago that it was quite obvious where Ireland needed to work on, didn't they? Yeah. They, they needed to work on their attack. That's what came out in the review. So Andy Farrell yeah. knows that, brought in Mike Cat, excellent attack coach, and that's what they're doing. But mm. it's also the freedom to allow them to make mistakes. Go mm. out there, express yourself. You will make mistakes, but back yourself to take people on one-on-one. Mm. Back yourself to be able to get the ball through the hands and take the edges, especially if Wales have dropped numbers in the backfield when, when, yeah. when you're in your own half, which is what happened. From a Welsh point of view, though, um, you know something really stood up glaringly for me is how passive they were on defence, and how, and they can and they conceded a mall try. Now under Sean Edwards and Warren Gatland, I remember when I was playing for England when we were analysing them, they were saying, "Right, yeah. we can take them on up front." Yeah, we took them on up front, but we were aware. I think at the time, for five years, they hadn't conceded a mall try. You know, they had massive, massive pride in what they mm. did defensively, and. That, that it looked very, very different. You know, some some of the tries that Ireland scored. Yeah, you know, The different. first try Lama yeah. scored when he went through Nick Tompkins, which we'll talk about. It was very passive defence. And I can't believe that Byron Hayward's come in there and completely changed the system. I think it was a mindset thing. It must have been a mindset thing because you're not going to come in when it's something Wales have been so successful at and has been completely their identity, their defence, and completely rip it up um, to shreds. And I think that, along with, obviously, you know, ball retention and developing their offload game because we know attack's the last thing that really um, come, comes through and, and, and the last thing to master is will be huge work-ons um, it is, it is, it, is, it is nice to see Ireland though sort of you know I suppose with, with, with Andy Farrell as coach who's been head of defence actually to branch out and be look, look more exciting so it's very exciting with the Six Nations see how they go but, but one or two players will be very disappointed in their performance I mean Nick Tompkins went from hero to zero is great great in his first international so this is this is international rugby he overran when Lama went for that uh, his try uh, he'll be disappointed but George North I was reading about his stats uh, in this match and, and I didn't realise he he played so badly but his first time he touched the ball was on 33 minutes okay he had four runs making six metres four attempted tackles two misses and gave the ball away for a try what 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 was your worst ever game then Nick in, in, in international rugby uh, or, or? Well, I probably I pl- had plenty mate but statistically I can't really remember but um, lies damn lies and statistics they say <laughs> mate, and my, uh, oh. 
I, do, I just remember, um, I, do, I do remember Mike Ross at Harlequins. Yeah. I, I remember this specifically. Yeah. Tight head prop, right? You're there to scrummage. And this is sort of back 10 years ago, really. So less less phases, you know, not, not asking as much as, of tight heads as you used to. Bageled, so a big bagel, a big big zero and a tackle count. Three, <gasps> three weeks in a row, but not only no. did he bagel. How many misses? Well, that was it. <laughs> Attempted. Over the three weeks, attempted 20. Shut up. Missed 20. No. <laughs> Big fat bagel. <laughs> can't um, get any and that, and but, that was it. That was but, his nickname for the rest. And I think that's yeah. why he signed for Leinster, actually. He couldn't yeah. handle the banter anymore. But uh, personally, remember, look, I had yeah. plenty of bad games. Statistically, can't can't probably remember you no, know, what my stats no. were like. You were, you, were all, you were consistently good. But uh, one of my worst games I ever played against South Africa, used Van der Vestes, and ran around me twice, scored two tries. But I remember my, one of my first games for Bristol, I was 19 years old and I was, honestly, I was very nervous and we were playing against Clifton. And I remember in the first 10 minutes, big fight, which I obviously didn't get involved in because I'm, I'm a student. And um, anyway, I, I remember I, I, I threw a pass, intercept try. I missed a couple of tackles. They scored. I gave away five or six penalties, came in at half time, and I'm sat there thinking, oh, this is shocking. I get a round of applause. I think, this is nice. And I realise I'm in the wrong changing room. So... <laughs> 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 but but um, but yeah, George North will bounce back. I mean, he was great the week before. Uh, I'm sure he'll come good. I uh, think I've made, I've got to stick with Nick Tompkins yeah. for me as well. You know, you can't cast him aside. We saw what happened with Matthew Tate, for example, a yeah. long long time ago. Is oh, of course I'll look, stick this, with him. Mate, you, you've got to stick with him. He he is a big cog in the way Wayne Pivot wants to play as rugby. And, yeah, uh, you know, I hope they pick him again in two weeks. Rocket this week's predictions. Okay, Brax, prediction time. We'll start with uh, England Ireland, what we've been discussing. Oh, that's going to be tough, isn't it? Where's this going to go? I, I got a feeling England got a big game game in them. I think it's going to be close. Am I allowed to go for a draw? Is that allowed, or is that just sitting? Is that sitting on the fence? Is that sitting on the fence? Because our predictions haven't been great. Have to they? be honest, to be honest, <laughs> mate, you got plenty of uh, plenty of ballast there to be able to uh, balance on the fence as well. But <laughs> I think you're more than me. I, I'm going to I'm going to say. Uh, Okay, I'm going to say England by one. One. Tight one. Um, I think it'll be tight. I think England by seven. The reason I'm going for seven is a lot of these tight games have been seven points. You know, England being Scotland, 13-6. Scotland losing to Ireland a week before, seven points. So yeah. I'm going with a trend there in a tight game up until the death. Yeah. Um, and England to win by seven. Can we just warn listeners not to go on our hunches because we're invariably wrong or I am anyway so let's 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 do the Wales-France game this is exciting France looking for a grand, grand slam Wales need to recover from that game against Ireland Pivak you know wants to play I'm sure a very, a very sort of um, exciting brand of rugby I'm questioning will he, will he do it against the French but the French are on a on a roll so what's your prediction there I think Wales um, there's a lot of work to do in house they're a different beast when they're at home um, the French again the question is going to be asked do they travel well yeah. the usual questions which team turns um, they'll be competitive Sean will get them fired up again again he'll he'll have a great plan in place he'll know the way Wayne Pivot wants to play yeah. um, he'll think it'll suit them as well Wayne Pivot won't um, go away from that but I do think Wales will win um, oh they, Wales win yeah seven okay. points for me again okay well I'm, I think Sean Edwards is going to visit every player in their houses for the next week and rile them up for that game. Uh, he's going to 
go go back home to Wales. He should be back in England, by the way. I think he should be an English coach. But he's going to go back to Wales and he's going to get a memorable victory against the Welsh. And I'm predicting a win by 10 points. Rocket Six Nations Special. So last prediction, Italy playing at home against Scotland. We've had two matches on the trot where Hogg has made fierce errors that led to the losses and hopefully he can recover and play well but Italy look like they bounce back against uh, against France scoring three tries they look quite exciting uh, um, do you know what I've got this horrible feeling for Scotland that uh, that Italy might win this by two points that's exactly what I've got Brax you've got uh, you've been stealing my predictions I just, but uh, I, I just think it's for, you know it's four six nations without a win come on Italy yeah. you know we're all supporting you Scotland I don't think there's a happy camp. I think this Finn Russell Gregor thing is going to keep being in the press, keep bubbling. Yeah. Um, you know, all the way through that game, all the way through the Six Nations. Um, I don't think they're in a good place. They're going to be under pressure for the win a lot more than Italy. And in front of their home support, on the back of what they did yesterday with two weeks as well to freshen up, I fancy Italy for this one. The brand new rugby podcast, Rocket, with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So let's select our team of the week, as before, as you are uh, an expert in the forwards. So let's have your pack, see if I agree. Oh, yeah, pack. Genge Lucid, uh, Jamie George, uh, hooker, Tad Furlong, back to his best, rampaging best of the weekend. James Ryan was uh, totemic. Is that a word? Is that a word? No, but we like it. We'll but keep it. We'll, we'll stick sure that in the second yeah. row, along with George Cruz, who I thought was brilliant, especially calling the line outs. Mm. Um, which was an important factor at Murrayfield. CJ Stander, I didn't have him in last week. Um, he lost out to Olivon, although he was brilliant against Scotland, but he was even better this week. Man and, of the match. Well, mm. and he, and what I like is he's he's looked at another part of his game and said, I'm going to become you know, brilliant or one of the best in the world at this. And I think Simon Easterby's defensive system, where they are competing a lot more yeah. than they used to under Andy Farrell, is really, really suiting them and they're getting their rewards. Um, Tom Curry at seven for me, because he is a seven. I thought he was excellent. Underhill was good as well. And I know he played seven and Even got man of the match eight. for England. Oh, can you do that? Or I know. Like, yeah, the, the, okay. the, the listeners are going to yeah. say, but Underhill got man of match, he's playing seven. But I thought Tom Curry was slightly, slightly more influential and yeah. it was a game where it didn't actually matter what number you had on your back. Vanderflew was outstanding as well, though. Wasn't he? He was again, but yeah. mate, you can only have one in there. No, that's All true. Right. Number eight. Um, I'm going to go with Jake Pledry. Oh right, you can't come for a uh, yeah a six I like at it. eight. Okay, um, and I think there needs you're to be doing, Italian representative. You're copying blueprint of Eddie Jones, picking people out of position, aren't you? Now, <laughs> yeah, but mate, he can play. Aldrich eight. is he pretty can, good. Mate, Aldrich he is can play good. eight. He can. Yeah, play no, eight. that is true. Okay, well let's. Let's see what people think of our team, but I'll do the backs. Um, Dupont was outstanding again. Uh, the pass over the top for the try, he was sharp. I thought Conor Murray played really well. Siran came on um, for France, scoring that wonder try. But Dupont is um, at a different level to everyone else. Disappointed for Hines, didn't play very well. Uh, ben Youngs came on, but uh, I still think any changes at nine for England. But but. Dupont easily right. So nine. we've got through that. Have you, you actually yeah. know who your nine is? No, now? Dupont by a mile. I was just no, that, that I was just, just took ten minutes. It's clarifying why I wasn't selecting other people. Entermac, great try that he scored. Lovely little dink through for the for the uh, Telly Thomas try. But um, his kicking goal was was awful. But mate, drop, said drop that, that who cares? Eyeball, they, yeah, who that? cares? Come on, mate. I've Come got on. I've got I've got myself uh, an Italian and Menozzi was outstanding. 
he was unbelievable. His, his footwork is amazing. Scored a great try, although Stockdale did run 82 metres, but I've got a, got a Manozzi in there. So 12 and 30 was really hard. No one really stood out. Um, but I had Aki from Ireland, I thought, once again was, um, what what was that word you you just said? Totomic, which totemic, isn't a word. Totemic. I don't right, know well, what he I means, was, but I have heard totemic. it. Well, I've made it up. Um, Henshaw was back to his best. I enjoyed the way he played. Um, you know, I, I thought he was very good. So, Teddy Thomas on the wing, and then Lama by a mile at fullback, who was asked uh, uh, as a reference, I think after the game, has his his um, his footwork was described as being a bit like Jason Robinson, and he said, "Yeah, well, I had to look up Jason Robinson on uh, on YouTube to see what he was like." So. So plenty generation. of clips there, mate, to inspire him. Uh, we do have a question, Scrum 365. Yeah. Teddy Thomas, best winger in the Northern Hemisphere. No. Debate. No, I mean, I think I think Johnny May proved mm. in the game against France that uh, he's got the wheels. Uh, he, he nearly single-handedly won that game. Um, so, no, I think... I think do you know what so, the wingers are so different, aren't they? Mm. They're, 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 you know, there's some big ones. George North has been fantastic for years. Um, you've got, you know... Small ones, short ones, big Struggling ones. Struggling to find his form, George North, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's played again. out of position again. So, no, I would say much of a muchness. Let's see at the end of the Six Nations who will pick. But Teddy Thomas has an eye for scoring a try, but I still don't think he'd be in my, my, my he's, He is certainly one of the most talented, though. Rocket, Kieran Bracken, Nick Easter, the brand new rugby podcast. So, plenty of debate there. Um, if you agree, disagree with our selections, get in touch, please, at rucket underscore podcast. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks and uh, look forward to chewing the fat after the third round of the Six Nations then. Thanks very much for listening. Rugby.